0: The Answer, or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Kind of a gloomy day here in Cleveland. Was hoping to go hit the white ball around this afternoon. Doesn't look good. So let's start off, um, you know, we uh, always talk about some uh, high-quality quotes. What difference does it make to the dead, the orphans, and the homeless, whether the mad destruction is wrought under the name of totalitarianism, or the holy name of liberty or democracy? That's Gandhi. And unfortunately, this is a terrible thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. The best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. And that is Winston Churchill, by the way. But collective thinking is usually short-lived. We're fickle, stupid beings with poor memories and a great gift for self-destruction. So I'm kind of being negative here, and I apologize, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll take it there. If voting made any difference, they wouldn't let us do it. And that goes along with the statement I made last week, and that was by Mark Twain, by the way. Uh, about uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was, where Stalin's Netchev, who, was, who we shot five years later, said, uh, the power is not in those who vote. The power is in the hands of those who count the votes. There we go. Anyway, we, uh, we always talk about our webpage and, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about our all cap portfolio, which has done really well this year. Uh, so I'll I just highly mention that, but, uh, we're going to talk about it. But if you go there, uh, you know, insights are talking about, uh, You know, if you go to WHK 1420, go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, it directly takes you to my webpage where you can sign up. You know, we talk about our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our top ideas. Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about our all-cap portfolio. Um, We're going to talk about software today and what what we look for in our software companies. But it also talks about, uh, you know, It has Rob Schleimers, uh, who is our head technician, who was voted one of the best technicians on the planet. He he has his daily update, or uh, actually it's a weekly update. Uh, We have our newsletter that comes out every every week. Uh, We also have on the Insights page about rising interest rates, uh, how to finance a wedding taxes and history and things uh, and ransomware, some other stuff you should do, go. And if you want to have a cup of coffee, if you want to sit down and talk with me, um, I'm kind of limited to the people who have had their shots because of uh, RBC's uh, liability. Uh, but if you've had your shots and you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee or if you want to sit six feet apart and uh, wear a mask, uh, I think we could do that too. I, I think. I'm not sure about that one. But anyway, um, we'd love to sit down with you. Uh, we've we've had, You know, and I think there's some people out there listening that uh, we've really helped their portfolios over time. And uh, in some cases, the last year has been phenomenal for some of my clients. Uh, So, you know, if you need somebody to refer you back to me, I'd be glad to send you there. Um, You know, in April, 25% of all home sales were all cash deals. That's up from 15% a year ago. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? All cash. got a $300,000 home, you just pay for cash. Over the past 100 years, the average human lifespan has roughly doubled, okay, as life expectancy rises, the senior population is growing, uh, too. So by 2025, over a fifth of all Americans expect to be 65 or over. An American born today can expect to live to nearly 80. Uh, Right now, it's 74. Uh, Six of the highest earning execs from twenty twenty. We're among the people with the top largest pay packages in the last decade. What a surprise, huh? <laughs> anyway, it's the live show. So if you've got a question, you can call us here. Uh the number here is two one six nine oh one oh nine four five. That's two one six nine oh one oh nine four five. Well Lori Calcevina, our head strategist, checked in this week and she said um, she was reading through most of the uh the earnings and, and what she said the that The this, this season got off to a sour start. And uh, the headline stats in still are good, by the way. Beat rates remain strong, with 92% beating the sell-side consensus, uh, which is big. And bottom up, the S&P 500 earnings per share forecast inched up over the week to about 193 from 192. But the stock price reactions speak for themselves, with just 33% seeing their prices rise. 33% of the S&P 500... Who beat the estimate saw their prices rise. So what's that all about? Last week's uh, results were dominated by financials, making it tough to tell whether the last week's poor price action is a sign of things to come, or merely a reflection of the you know the financial sector taking it uh, on the on you know when interest rates go down, their spread goes down. So interest rates went down quite a bit. We're going to talk about bonds too a little bit here today. So I, I think uh, you know the, the next thing we got to talk about is COVID. Um, the stuff hasn't disappeared. There's a new Delta, you know, Delta means change. Uh, so we have a new, a new variant out there and Delta, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, uh, you know, the ongoing discuss, the discussion of COVID, I think is going to be particularly interesting. Uh, 9.5% of the workforce contracted the virus over the last five quarters. It's down quite dr- drastically. Now, uh, you know, and, and I, I think the, the cause as to relate, uh, you know, to the relation between performance of the reflation trade with the COVID trends is going to be uh, very interesting. I think going forward. Okay, so, look, I, I said this last week, and I'll say it again because I asked quite a few questions. And by the way, if you go to my web page and you want to talk to me, you can call me. I, I pick up the phone. You know, we mentioned last week that people were building a case around material slower growth on the back of the Delta variant. And uh, look, you know, we understand that rationale. But you know, I also mentioned that if we if we fast forward to today, and I've had numerous client conversations under my belt, by the way, uh, look, there was a bunch of lazy shorts out there. Okay, when you short something, you expect the price to go down. All right, so they were shorting bonds, and they were lazy, and they took them to the cleaners. And that's what the market does. The market takes the most people to the cleaners. You know, for example, this week in Barron's, uh, they said that retirees should avoid bats. They should avoid the Mimi stocks. They should avoid the pot stocks. They should buy high-quality fundamentals. Now, on this show, we don't talk about the Mimi stocks. We don't talk about the pot stocks, okay? We talk about high-quality companies with dividend growth or income. We also talk about high-quality software stocks, etc. So, I think what we saw is that a lot of shorts got handed, got got their their, uh, you know, you know, what handed to them, okay? So, the point is is that they were lazy shorts. It was the largest short position in the bond bond market's history, and they took it to them. And that's what the market does. It takes it to the most people. And when most people are selling is when you should be buying. So it'll be interest will is interesting to see the 10-year Treasury rate yield went right down to the 200-day moving average and turned back up. We'll see what happens from here. You know, uh, U.S. Treasury yields have been going crazy. And we had a couple of conversations two weeks ago. And it was on last week, and I apologize. But we have such a good Uh, firewall system set up at RBC so the crooks can't get in but sometimes I can't get in (laughs) and that's so when you hear the recordings it's because Tim's been locked out uh, which is the tough part about being uh, you know uh, um, the COVID process we're still not back in our offices but look the relationship with bonds it says interest rates go up bond prices go down so we've had a 40 year bond bull market okay deflation has occurred what i see happening now is the reflation trade it started in the trump administration all right and 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 now the fed is just you know even but it started the trump administration even with the fed being tight okay they were stuck sucking money back into the treasury pretty regularly so you know why when yields are at an ultimate low do you want to buy bonds it's simple you want your principal to be safe. Now, look, even if yields go to 10%, if you hold your bond to maturity, you'll get your money back. Okay. And I think, you know, you got to understand that. But look, you've had some recent whipsawing in yields and it, it makes it hard for you to understand if you're a bond buyer, it, it's tough right now. And I've talked about laddering your bond portfolio. So every year or two years, you've got money coming up so that it, it it takes a little less of the sting out of your bond portfolio but you'll get your money back that, that's the key especially if you buy high quality bonds so look there's lots of different types of bonds there's long term treasuries there're intermediate term treasuries there's aggregate bonds there's tips which are treasury inflation and protecting securities and they they the it yields move up and down according with inflation there's long term corporate uh, corporate bonds there's international treasury bonds there's international corporate bonds etc cetera, etc cetera. so the simplest way to protect a fixed income portfolio from a rise in interest rates is to shorten its duration. Now, duration measures how sensitive the price of a security is to changes in interest rates. The higher the duration, the higher the interest rates uh, sensitivity. There's, therefore, the value of long duration uh, securities tends to deteriorate quickly in rising interest rate markets, i.e., the latter portfolio. A lot of short-term bonds coming due all the time. A primary factor that uh, determines duration is maturity. All else equal, a security with longer maturity will have higher duration, okay? So, look, in a normal rate environment, one with an upward sloping yield curve, this also means lowering your yield a little bit, okay? So, uh, there's some floating rate securities. What they do is they move their securities up and down according to the CPI. Uh, They can be helpful. And what you'll find is is if interest rates go up, the price will hold steady with those you know they may bounce around a little bit, but as the price goes up with a fixed rate bond or the yields go up, the price will fall down. and by the way, if interest rates fall, the floating rate security will go down too and the you know the, the, the income falls, but the price will hold steady, but the income will be steady in the fixed rate bond and the price will rise. so those are things that you have to know about and. Look, there's all sorts of uh, interest rate hedged ETFs. Uh, there's some target maturities. There's there's also convertible bonds, which you know convertible bonds and high yield bonds tend to be bond surrogates to the stock market. So just remember that, okay? All right. So does the bond market care about inflation? That's the big question. Inflation went to five percent this month, five point four percent in consumer prices over the over the past year, and yet our yields went down. You know, so, and I guess that's the you know, it's the Rorschach test for investors.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, what do you see here, folks? And I, I guess that's a, the the big question. And uh, Look, all I'll say is I think with the stock market and the bond market for this summer, volatility, our old friend, is back, okay? Uh, so we haven't seen, you know, we, we were down 800 points on Monday, and we took it all back this week, and we actually hit a new high. So we took one giant step back to get a runny jump. And then we jumped over the 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 you know, over the the big uh, impasse, I would call it. And we have some very durable dynamics because of you know government spending, basically, uh, but also the the you know what we call the epicenter trade. You know, we're we're coming back, we're we're revaluing the, the economy, and Delta is is difficult, but there's less of a tolerance for shutdowns now, I think. So another thing you have to worry about. But look, I, I think July chop is underway and and usually the summer months july and august tend to be choppy but not to be a hero right here but i i think and you know Lori calcevina thinks and also uh tom lee thinks that the second half is setting up for a rally we'll just leave it at that now look one other thing i want to talk about is uh you know we we had a great uh piece this week about software and
2: look there's some
1: interesting themes out there there's uh Valuations, the rule of 40, what they call uh, the IPOs, et cetera. But the real key to a software company is sales efficiency as a key metric. It is one of the four key drivers to a software company's path to profitability. And all sales efficiency measures is how effectively a company is spending on sales and marketing. It's very crucial for growth companies, and it's effectively the inverse of what they call the CAC ratio, which you have to look up. The average sales efficiency ratio is 0.8x, okay? Which means for every dollar sales and marketing spent, the company generates 80 cents of organic revenue. And so you'll find a few things uh, in software companies: companies with meaningful self-service motion, which is complicated, tend to see higher sales efficiency. I've got some names, but I'm you know that's for my clients. And most companies saw a drop off in sales efficiency during the pandemic. Uh, pandemic, I'm sorry. And the trends are very important. So if you have de- declining sales efficiency in a company, it may be, you know, uh, signaling some sales execution issues or a potential uh, constraint of some sort. All right, so... Uh, we've got a lot of names in the software company we've been making a lot of money off of. And uh, one of them was a huge insider buy just a while ago. So we also had uh, our guided portfolio, all cap growth, self-discipline product. And I just thought it, the rules that re- revolve around this are kind of interesting because it's really done well over the last couple of years. And you can get this by going to WHK 1420 local podcast, down to the smart investor show, go to Tim Hayes's webpage, and, and either call me, have a cup of coffee, whatever. If a stock has broken our thesis for ownership, this is these are the rules. We we get rid of the stock. How the stock is performed compared to its sector, so if it's underperforming, sector it's out. If the stock is trading a peak valuation, and if we and if so, do we believe it can maintain that level? If not, we're gone. Are, are there fresher ideas with more catalysts? Uh, you know, look, we bought Peloton way time long time ago, and the company was early in its cycle. Now, you know, we're looking at it and saying, hey, maybe, maybe not. We will try to manage the risk in the portfolio from a sector and subsector perfor- uh, performance. All right. But man, I'm telling you, uh, this thing has done extremely well. Uh, it's, you know, five year returns about 20%. Uh, so it's done very, very well. And it's uh, it's got all different types of stocks in it. Uh, uh, you know, it's large cap, small cap, et cetera. And so it's a, it's a highly fluid type situation. Uh, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, I was also going to talk about fintech. I don't know if I have time, but I think I do. In this uh, fourth article, uh, we we had a we have a web web page and a and a newsletter on it, which you can get from my web page, I believe. But you know, fintech is a very it, you know it's a term you hear all the time. And it's, it's a rapidly growing industry segment that is aiming to deliver financial, financial services more broadly and efficiently. And it's innovative using powerful online technology and enabled by big data and cloud computing. Uh, it's online-based payment type, type stuff like PayPal, Alipay, Apple Pay. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this in a second. In the meantime, it's a live show, 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. okay we're back i uh, saw paul mccartney here in cleveland he was wonderful (laughs) he played that song anyway um you know, a couple of things. I, I I was I want to make a quick note that the digital transformation that's impacting every industry is big. But in the food industry, many companies recognize they can keep up with competitors and thrive, and they invest in technology. And there's a couple of names. That, you know, you know Marshfield a long, long time ago bought Chipotle, and I thought people were going to choke when they when they mentioned the name in the seminar. I had a couple of guys not participate, and the, they live to regret it. Uh, but anyway. Look, there's a couple of things they can do. They can integrate physical, digital, and mobile shopping. They can improve health and safety, and they can automate the process when it comes to food. Uh, And, you know, it could be big. It could be very, very big. So uh, take it from there. Anyway, we're talking about fintech. And fintech is a term, it was coined to describe a a very rapidly growing segment that is aiming to deliver financial services more broadly, efficiently, and innovatively using powerful online tech, uh techniques okay uh and technology obviously so fintech enterprises have begun offering access uh to credit insurance and investments other than just pay services so who's driving fintech growth and uh dramatic growth of e-commerce has brought with it the need to
2: easy to use
1: online security payment services uh and and that's very important and it's got, secure is the answer there uh, huge underserved populations exist around the world with little to no access to banking services or credit. So the, this acts as a very powerful constraint to the global economic growth and social improvement, by the way. And so fintechs may be unique, suited to fill that gap, which is very big. Massive amounts of, of data available from e-commerce transactions, social media and internet searches allow fintech companies to determine what financial services offer which person as well as how to price that product. The data has become more important than uh, the collateral for the for these providers, by the way. And regulators do not appear to have been able to keep pace with FinTech. That's another, you know, the evolution has been so fast. So this is allowing fit, uh, FinTech businesses uh, to innovate very aggressively and perhaps take risks that their customers are not aware of. That's one thing you gotta worry about. Uh, Look, there's a lot of underserved populations that FinTech, fintech can um, move, and uh, we have a whole you know, – we've had Dan Perlin on. Uh, Perlin's pondering several times on the show, uh, and it's good stuff, so you, you might want to call in and get the new reports from there. But, uh, you know, a couple things. Let's talk about technicals now. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, 10-year yield, and it was at 181, and I said if it I said if it broke 185, it was going to 210. And it just died. And I also said the week after that, that there was a huge short position. So they, what they did was they nailed the shorts. And, uh, which is great because sometimes, you know, nailing the shorts is, uh, is a good thing. And the 10 year yield went right down to the 10, I mean, the 200 day moving average and stopped. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. So we'll, we'll see. By the way, it had kind of a rat's tail, which is, When you have a high-volume day and the yield went down, touched the 200-day moving average, and finished at the high of the day. Uh, That, after a long decline in any stock, uh, is something that's interesting. Uh, We also had, uh, you know, the S&P 500 uh, get just absolutely killed on Monday and then turn around and go to a new high on Friday. So, uh, you know, if I look at the, the, uh, the daily momentum figures, they're still overbought. Okay. Uh, and so we haven't got to an oversold yet. So it'd be interesting to see. We're, I'm, I'm starting to see that was a little bit with the NASDAQ 100, uh, where, you know, the daily momentum becoming overbought and starting to peak a little bit. So we'll just see if, if Monday wiped that all out, uh, and we're back to normal. Well, I don't know. But, uh, I, I think that the, the really key technical levels uh, and I think what is the key to the, the market is the small cap index, the Russell 2000. And it's been in a very tight range now uh since basically February 20th. So if it were to break out, now the one thing I will say is the relative performance to the S&P 500 is probing new lows for the Russell. So you'd like to see that turn up because remember, we don't want
2: the Kings –
1: and the knights out there fighting the battle without the archers, you know, without the the, the uh, soldiers, without the guys uh, helping in the background. You no, know, the, the foot soldiers are important. Right now, they're back at the at the barracks and they're they're smoking cigarettes and uh, drinking coffee. All right. Now the airline index, uh, you know, has pulled back pretty drastically from the high back in February. Remember, we talked about that being the epicenter group back in uh, I think it was. July and uh, August of last year. And, and I got to give credit to Tom Lee over at uh, uh, Fundstrat. He, he called that perfectly. So he, he's good, by the way. He's very good. Uh, so the index is right where it needs to hold the uh, support. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, for, for those of you who own the index, I should say. Um, now, I, I did notice a couple other things, and let me just go over these. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking uh, – Remember, I said a couple weeks ago that the XLE or most of the oil stocks were at a situation where uh, they were in, in. Remember, we were talking about the zone theory, and we were zone five and six, which is usually where you write calls. This was Jimmy the option report way back in the in the eighties and nineties. Uh, God rest his soul. He great guy, by the way. Uh, so all the oil stocks were in zone five and six what's interesting uh, here's a couple of things that i found very very interesting this week was the xlv which is the health care elect- sector fund that you know really picked up nicely and and the xlp which is consumer staples picked up nicely this is usually the stuff that you buy you know in a slowdown and the utilities kind of broke out so um very interesting stuff going on here now I did see, uh, uh, hold on. <laughs> uh, the XLE, I did notice that it it, it had a, uh, uh, hold on, i got to find this. Oh, here it is. <laughs> Sorry, this is the uh, beauty of uh, doing a live online show. Uh, anyway. So I was looking at the XLE, which is the energy sector ETF, and it, you know, had had major support right around the uh, forty five dollar area, and it had a kind of an island reversal. Now this island reversal is a little bit different in that it gapped down last week on Monday, and then on Tuesday held support. Wednesday held support again. On Thursday, gapped up. So we now we gap down and we filled the gap. And It'll be interesting to see if the XLE turns around and gets going again. All right. So I did notice there was a lot of buying in uh, quite a few of the uh, uh, you know the the energy stocks on on Friday, uh, and we'll leave it at that. But it is interesting that the XLE is gapped up, and then we have the healthcare group breakout. Now this is healthcare services. Okay, it's not all the healthcare group. Uh, biotechs are falling behind a little bit, and uh, the drug stocks are starting to look pretty good too, by the way. But the key uh is, I think, is that you're starting to see some of the, the FANG stocks break out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, something that you have to to follow. Now, the other thing I would suggest to everybody is one of the things I've been noticing is that the relatives, you know, I watch relative strength very, very closely and the PPO, which is, uh. You know you gotta gotta follow this stuff, but when the relative strength turns up and a stock's sold off for a while, and they're going into earnings, you better pay attention, okay? Uh, and I I have three or four, you know, basic examples of this, um, and it's just amazing how all these things have turned up. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, they they've, they've all turned up the relative strengths all turned up on every one of these going into earnings. So. Uh, this is type of the stuff that I do for my clients. So just so you know, now, um, we, I, I, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, leadership and all that stuff, but I, did, I didn't have uh, time. So I will say this long term or intermediate term, I am bullish and long term, I am bullish. That's Tim Hayes now. So I think this could be a very interesting time for all of us uh, going forward. So let's take a break. The phone number here is 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. You just tuned in to the Smart Investor Show. Uh, I am Tim Haynes. And, uh, you know, we always talk about the uh, bullish percent on this show. So we're going to get into that in a second. And uh, the bullish percent is our main risk guide. And uh, it got clobbered last week. But before I go to talk about that, it's kind of interesting. You know, the weekly momentum is one of the metrics uh, we track uh, for our indexes. And our friends at Darcy Wright uh, in Virginia do this for us. And, uh, you know, daily momentum is a very short-term trading tool, while monthly momentum tends to be, you know, provides us with some longer-term moves. Uh, it's the intermediate weekly momentum that helps us time our trades, okay? So simply put, weekly momentum is a one-week moving average compared to a five-week moving average. Uh, and and the moving average is exponent, and exponentially weighted and smooth. So when the one-week Crosses above the five week, we usually say the weekly momentum is positive. And what I noticed this week was the Dow Jones Industrial turned positive on a weekly momentum. And we it's been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks of negative momentum. So that may be int- very, very interesting. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the Dow. Okay. Uh, now, in the meantime, the bullish percent. Uh, you know, we discuss this every week and. It was designed to be a risk management tool, all right? It's not the, the end to all ends, but it's the, 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 what I like about it is there are no opinions. There's no subjectivity here, okay? It's just straight. It tells you what, what the market's doing, okay? So normally, when we go from zero to 100, uh, you know, is the market, And what we're looking at is the number of stocks that are participating that are on buy signals. And when that gets over 70, that's when things are too hot to handle. Uh, And then when it gets below 30, that's when things are, you know, ice cold and uh, people are crying their beer. They don't open their 401k statements, that type of thing. So the key is, is that when we get over 70, we should be more cautious. Now, this year has been unusual because 60 was the line in the sand. All right. And we went to 80. Then we came back to 60 and a half. Then we went to 78 then we went to 60.7. Then we went to 76, we went to 61. Then we went to 74, we went to 61. Then we went to 72 twice and hit 61 twice. Then we went to 70 and now we've broken 60. Now there's an old rule and it usually happens in bull markets. Okay, just so listen to that part. It happens in bull markets. It's called the 80-60-40 rule that our friends at Dorsey Wright found out about. So when you hit 80, and you break sixty, you're going to at least forty, but it's it's a bullish scenario because it allows you to buy stocks cheaper, all right. So we were down ten last week in the bullish percent. It was a you know Monday we got hit with averages recovered over the week, but a lot of stocks didn't. Okay, a lot of stocks are still hurting. So we were down ten and a half. So we, we finished the week at forty nine point seven. So. You know, based on the 40, 60, 80 rule, we're probably heading back to 40. Now, the over-the-counter index, the small caps took it on the cuff. They were down 7.5. They were only, at, you remember, 48, so they hit 50. So now they're in a column of O's, and the world index did the same thing. It was down 4.5, and, and it's in a column of O's also. So oh, risk is higher now, okay? Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Remember, de- uh, dynamic asset level investing – Right now, domestic equities are still the number one asset class. It's not like 2007 and 2008 when I came on the show and said that the money market would outperform the stock market because the money market was the number one asset class back then, and domestic equities were the lowest form of life. Okay, This is different, So don't get bearish. Just you know, use your head is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Now, uh, I looked at dynamic asset level investing, and consumer cyclicals are still the number one asset class. Industrials are number two, basic materials are number three, technology has fallen to four, financials five, and healthcares, third to last, and consumer non-cyclicals are last. Now, what's interesting is those three charts look awfully good to me. Uh, And utilities, remember I talked about buying yield when it's down. They've been looking fairly interesting. So, Now, the other thing is if we compare the XLE. Remember, I, I said that looks like it made a double bottom. But if I compare that to healthcare, real estate, technology, and communications, they've all gone to a column of O's. Oil's gone to a column of O's against all those sectors, meaning that the relative strength of those sectors are are in a positive trend compared to oil right now. So we'll see what if that you know if that develops further. Remember, the Dow Jones Industrials was negative for ten weeks. It finally went positive. Now, what's really interesting is the mid-cap and the small-cap stocks, the mid-cap have been negative weekly momentum for 15 weeks now, and the small-caps for 19 weeks. And the the equal-weighted index is 11 weeks. Will we see that turnaround? Hmm. That's a long time in the stock market. Now, the XLG has been positive, and the QQQs have been positive for five weeks. So that's another thing to go take a look at. Uh, you know, so what I've been saying is correct. We've got the kings and the knights leading the way. The foot soldiers, the archers, and all the rest of the army are back at the barracks smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, okay? So there we go. Uh, you know, I was going to go over near-term support, but I think I'm going to leave that uh, for another time.
2: Uh,
1: I did notice that I looked at favorite sectors, and we're down to seven. So you remember, back in February, we had... 31 favored sectors and I said that's unusual now we're down to seven and we the sign curve you know when you buy something you want it to be on to the left you know like I said with the with the uh, you know, we talked about Jimmy A's work and the option report and we had you know zone five and six when you when the markets have it oversold it's like it was back in March 23rd 2020 uh, yeah, 2020 when everything But maybe five stocks is in zone one and two. Okay. So we've moved, we've shifted to the left, which is good. And the the favorite sectors now, uh, and these are, I'm going to talk about the most overbought, so I'd wait on these, but gas utilities are at 70. Waste management and savings and loans are at 64. Banks are at 60. Oil services are at 44. Healthcare is at 40. And computers are at 34. We now have several groups under 30, so we want to see these turn around. They are gaming leisure, biotech, aerospace, drugs, and internet. By the way, aerospace is not in the environmental and social governance portfolios at this point. So that'd be interesting to see if it turns. Uh, So they're all under 30. They're not favored, but we want to wait for those to turn because that's the best time to buy them. Uh, You know, banks, I would say, are kind of in bear confirmed status right at the moment because the yields went down so far. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if that turns around uh, savings and loans the same way. Uh, they're favorite sectors, but they're not. The charts don't look so good. <laughs> uh, you know, and that happens sometimes. Now, what I saw this week is most of the stuff. And this is Thursday. You know, when this report comes out. So, usually, uh, you know, the damage was done on Monday, but it didn't repair itself. It's, it looks like it does, if you looked at the market. But the stuff underneath the market, all week long, I keep seeing the market go up. Yet I have two thirds of my screen red and one third green. You know the green is when the sto- when the stocks are up. The other thing, if you notice the the daily volume was three to one and sometimes four to one on the negative side, even as we climbed up to a new high. So if, if everything's so good, why is the ne- why is the selling volume three to four to one? Interesting. Anyway, in the unfavored status, we had gaming, protection services, transportation, uh, to the semi-unfavored, semis, retail, steel, non-ferrous metals and forest paper products. Oil, which had been favored, went to average, and banking, which had been very, very favored, went to just favored. So uh, there we go. And I was also looking at international stocks, and there's you know they've had some long periods of uh, weekly momentum being negative. But... It, I will say India looks interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was looking at things very closely and, you know, for some reason, India stands out. Uh, I have two ETFs that I really like. Um, but the, the fund score over at Dorsey, right? Uh, top 4% or top four. That's usually a good sign, uh, you know, for momentum. Okay. For you guys who want to go out there and take 30, 40% off, uh, I'd probably wait for a pullback because, like, some of the ETFs I looked at have made a big move. They've gone from, like, 33 to to 40, you know, so you want to wait for them to come back to you a little bit. Uh, Fixed income, the 10-year Treasury yield dropped sharply again on Monday. You know, they don't kind of – they don't like the uh, the move down in the market. And and the uh, CBUS 10-year spread, which uh, it returned to a buy signal, which if you don't understand that, I could talk to you about it. Uh, it means further upward movement in spreads would be a headwind for high-yield corporates. So just remember that part, you know, if you're in high-yield corporates. Alternative, uh, you know, stuff like the commodities. Crude was very positive up until two weeks ago. Gold's been negative for six weeks. Copper's been negative for eight weeks. Most of the commodity indexes uh, for eight, seven, eight weeks, and corn for about eight weeks. So that's kind of interesting. And crude oil, you know, which I had... A lot of resistance right at 75, which we talked about, came all the way back to support at 67 and held. So it would be interesting to see uh, if that continues. Uh, I, I think it could, but the, the crude monthly momentum turned negative last week. So I, you don't want to be rushing in there is what I'm trying to say. Uh, also, we talk about relative strength on this show. and It's amazing how few relative strength buy signals I got this week. One is Citronetrics, uh, which is in biotechnology, and that's it.
2: <laughs>
1: Stocks moving to a relative strength sell signal. So here's some place where you should, uh, you know, kind of look at your fundamentals. One is Carnival Cruise, which I owned and I sold. Uh, Century Aluminum, which is a very interesting chart. Uh, Carpenter Technology and uh, Guess, which is uh, obviously in uh, the retail area. And First Quantum Minerals. Uh, which is on Canadian exchange, Meritage Homes, uh, NN Incorporated, Penn Gaming, Park Ohio, Navius Maritime, Freight Car America, Royal Caribbean Cruises, Gibraltar Steel, The Scots Company, uh, Media Brands, Cantalope, which is uh, technology services, Norwegian Cruise Lines, and Voxo Jet, which is uh, uh, technology hardware, The Container Store, American Airlines, ProQR, which is in biotechnology, Klaikos, which is in uh, media, uh, medical, TPI companies, Adient, Brightview, and I think you get the hint that there's a lot more. Uh, sellers uh, or cell signals and our buy signals. We had one buy signal and multiple cell signals. So look what's happening. Let's talk about that so you all understand. Uh, when you have down volume, three to one, for a lot of the week now friday turned around a little bit but uh it it means that the market sold off monday and not everybody participated tuesday wednesday thursday and friday okay so we went to new highs but we went to new highs with lesser stocks and that's something that you know these are the type of things that you have to to learn uh before you know uh you well you don't want to go be going crazy in your own account is what I'm, I'm trying to tell you. So uh, I think, you know, what you have to be thinking about is why is every, why is there so much selling volume going into a new high? Why did the bullish percent go down 10% when we're hitting a new high? You know, usually the worst part of a sell off is the last part.
2: All right.
1: Hey, let's, uh, we'll be back with insiders and, uh, you know, just so you know, uh, you can call in here. It's 216 901 0945. 216 901 0945. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay, we're back. A little, a little stone in there, painted black. But I think we have somebody on the line. It's uh, James.
2: James, you there? Yes, I am. How are you today? I'm um, wonderful. What can I do for you? Oh, I'm just curious. What do you think about the prognosis, Doctor, for the next year on the market? Should we, like, hold all cash? Should we go more into, like, ETFs? I,
1: uh, I would never be 100% cash. Uh, there's always opportunity. The question is where. And um, I, as far as, you know, being a market seer, that's a difficult thing to do. So what I do is I buy individual stocks that I think are going to do really well, James. And there's plenty of those.
2: Exactly. That's what I've been doing. I'm on a discord and I watch for stocks to pop and jump in and out and take a small scalp. Is usually how I play it.
1: Uh, That's that's fine. If you're a trader, I tend to be a long-term investor. Oh, I am a
2: long-term investor. I like applied industrial properties, innovative, industrial properties, sorry. Yeah,
1: uh, I don't follow that one personally, but uh, that's okay. You know, uh, there's lots of names out there that that are going to work. You know, I think we're in a structural bull market for the time being, and
2: uh, there may be pullbacks, but uh, the pullbacks are to buy. Absolutely I'm just waiting for the bill The to total for all the spending That they're doing right now So I'm kind of cautious at this point Well, uh, that's That's your I mean,
1: uh, the vote yeah. percent of the column of votes So being cautious is okay, short term.
2: Absolutely You know, I appreciate your show And I do listen every week So oh, good I'm glad to hear that all right, well, have a yeah. good weekend, James. All
1: right,
2: well, thank you. And can I contact you to manage my portfolio? I do have $6 million under management right now.
1: Uh, my number is on, on the webpage. If you go to WHK 1420, local podcast, it goes down to Smart Investor Show.
2: Go directly to my webpage from there, James. So, geez, that's wonderful. wonderful. I'll be reaching okay. out to you soon. Thank you very much. Sir. All right, sir. Have a great day.
1: Uh, anyway, let's talk about insiders. Uh, and insiders, you know, it's, it's amazing. It, they have just dried up. <laughs> they have just dried up. Uh, and, and remember, you know, back in the fall, the insiders came out of the woodwork. All right. So this is, this is interesting, but I did find a couple that I thought were kind of interesting because of the people who were buying There's a company called Iconics. And, uh, Orbamed investors, advisors, I'm sorry, bought, uh, 9.1 million shares. That ain't chump change. Uh, stocks $20. That ain't chump change. So, and by the way, it was kind of at a new high. I love when they buy at the a new high. Also, Lionsgate, uh, we had the, the CFO by 128,000 shares. We had the COO by 132,000 shares. Then he bought another 12. And then we had, uh, Uh, director by 37,000 shares. So that's not chump change either. Uh, And then I I was reading about some of the uh, state plans, you know, and and some of the insiders in Washington. And Alabama bought Honeywell and Micron, Alabama state pension. Also, there was several insiders uh, in in Washington who bought some of the same stocks. All right. So now there was there's a new software company out there which a guy named Dan Loeb. And if you know who Dan Loeb is, you should. It's called Sentinel One. And it's a new software company. I was I was reading about the company Friday, uh Friday afternoon. I see that Dan Loeb had bought a substantial stake in it. And then uh Jack Schuler bought twenty nine thousand shares of accelerated diagnostics. Look, this guy has been buying. He owns sixteen point nine million shares, and he Jack Schuler is <coughs> not a schmuck. He knows what he's doing. He is the former uh, co-chair of Abbott Laboratories, or I think he was uh, corporate vice president. Maybe I, th- I thought he was co-chair, but I, th- I know he is corporate uh, uh, vice president. So um, this stock's get just killed. Okay, and it went from 30 all the way down. It's like six, seven bucks. And but a lot of these uh, biotech and small cap stocks, they just pulled the bit, is what they've done. Haven't been any real terrible fundamentals, other than during the pandemic. You know, you couldn't do testing. Uh, You couldn't do biotech testing because nobody wanted to come in to do the test. Uh, You know, people like uh, the the big uh, healthcare companies. Who were putting defibrillators in and things like that weren't doing that because nobody wanted to come in, okay? They didn't want to catch anything. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if these guys rebound. All right. So Jack Schuler, Accelerated Diagnostics Company. Now I noticed a couple of uh, other things. There's a company called Afib, uh, or Afib is a symbol, and Acutis, Acutis Medical. There was Jim Flynn who's A very sharp guy bought $15 million worth. Uh, Dave Bonita, who's also a very sharp guy, bought $15 million, and Orbit Orbit Orbimed Advisors again bought another $15 million. That ain't chump change, folks. Now I did notice a couple things. Uh, Ivanhoe Capital Acquisition. Remember last week we talked about there was several buys there, big buys, you know, two three million dollars worth, and we did have uh, Bob. Uh, Friedland, who's the chairman and CEO, by another fifty thousand shares. So you know, he always liked that. Here's a couple more that I, I uh, were, you know, buy on. We'll call them. Uh, uh, Harriet Elderman, who's a director at Bed Bath and Beyond, she bought another eleven thousand shares, which about uh, I don't know three four hundred thousand dollars, and. Excess Service Holding, which is information technology, uh, these this gentleman bought 2,500 shares. It's only uh, a quarter million dollars, but it is at a new high. And then here's something I thought was kind of interesting. Delta Airlines, which was one of the airlines that really got beat up, this guy bought at the bottom, okay? And uh, his name's David Taylor. He's a director. He just bought 3,000 shares more. So he bought when Delta was way down and out. He bought a ton of it. So uh, you'll, you'll, you'll like you like to see that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, just take it from there. Uh, all right. So look, uh, I think we have to stay f- focused right now on, on the equity t- trends and cycles. And remember, there's tends to be, and this goes all the way back to 1855 when the actual markets were started. There's a 17 year cycle, which we call a bullish It's a secular bullish market, okay? And then there's a 17-year cycle. It's you know 16 to 18 years, but we'll just call it 17. And we're in the middle of it, okay? So we probably, uh, depending on when you think the cycle started, uh, you know, some people think it started in 2014. Some think it started right after Trump was elected. You could have, you know, somewhere between 7 and 12 years left, all right? So um, good times. Now, that doesn't mean, look, 1987, the crash occurred during a structural bull market. So there's a four-year cycle that you have to worry about. And, you know, there'll be there'll be pullbacks along the way within this four-year cycle. And they'll usually be short or they'll be dynamic. And they'll be short, but they'll be dynamic. So they'll scare the bejesus out of you, okay? Which is, look, as long as you're scared, you're in the right place. If you're not scared. If your stomach doesn't, isn't queasy, you know, when you put an order in, you're in the wrong place. You know, 2000, I had the guy who shined my shoes. He was a great guy. He asked me what I was buying. I sold so much stock the next day. I didn't know, you know, it was like half my portfolios. All right. So there we go. Uh, Look, we were challenging a 12-year uptrend. We were at the top of the channel, and we gave it up a little bit, I think. You know, the problem with this channel is there's 18 percent between top and bottom. So we can still be in a bull market and and go down 18 percent, which is not exactly what everybody wants to hear. And I'm not sure. I mean, we're at 49 percent right now. We're still in a column of O's. I think you need to be a little bit more defensive here. All right. I I talked to a gentleman Friday. He said, Tim, I haven't heard you from you for a little while. I said, you have 25 percent cash. Uh, and you get the stocks you own are great. I don't know what to do right now. I don't know whether I should be buying it or not. You know, now I, I wrote down a bunch of names for Monday. You know, uh, I looked at my charts this morning, and I wrote down a bunch of names. All right. So, uh, you know, these are things that probably will do pretty well. But I do see, you know, healthcare broke out. Utilities look like they want to break out. Consumer staples are kind of breaking out. Uh, and the XLE did a, you know, island reversal. So we'll see what happens. But Look, I think the sector and style thing is going to be tough. I still think you need this barbell approach between value and growth stocks, okay? And, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, you've just got to remember that we probably have a long period left uh, during this, you know, reflationary trade in a secular bull market. And so that's something that you got to consider, all right? So, um, but, you know, you have a four-year cycle, and we were testing the uptrend line of the of you know, going back to 2009. All right. So look, here's what I would do. I, we, I'd go to WHK 1420 AM, go to local podcasts. down to smart investor show, Tim Hayes, go to my webpage. There's the dividend. You can call in, get the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, our, our all cap portfolio, which has done extremely well, our small cap ideas, our ADRs, our American depository receipts. These are all wonderful places to, to get good ideas. If you want to have a cup of coffee with me, call me. I pick up the phone. In the meantime, have a great weekend. It looks like the sun may even come out. (laughs) Uh, This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low, sell high.
0: Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes That's all one word in the address bar rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management